The opinions expressed on The Rob Report are the opinions of the host participating callers and or listener emails, text, and or letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Momentous things are happening in our country right now. Crazy things, and uh, we're going to talk about them, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, maybe fun's not the word for it. Uh, What's that proverb, may you live in interesting times? I think we live in interesting times, Eric. Oh, we uh, we certainly do. It ain't ain't business as usual in Washington right now, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But we're going to get into it here. Uh, And then also coming up at 1 o'clock, we're going to talk about more state-level things. Uh, insurance, uh, excuse me, tax commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger is going to be on. I wanted to get an update about, uh, the sales tax thing. They've already had a lot of people because that, that was always, I think the difficult thing when, when the Supreme court overturned the quill precedent earlier this year, which was a, a, a previous Supreme court decision, uh, coming out of North Dakota, uh, that held that, uh, a, a business must have a physical presence in a state before the sales tax can be applied. Um, the hard thing was always going to be how states were going to track down all the different internet retailers. How in the world do you keep track of that? Well, aren't the, the tax commissioner is in the process of addressing that issue, and he's going to be on the program at 1 o'clock. He had some news uh, about that yesterday. Also, OMB director Joe Morissette is going to be on about uh, this, this budget picture. Uh, the forecast, revenue forecasts are improving, but Governor Doug Burgum is continuing uh, to call for a more conservative approach to budgeting. Mr. Morissette will be on to talk about that revenue picture uh, at 1.30. Uh, of course, your phone call, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. You know, I, I apologize. I am going to be, uh, I am going to be coughing uh, a lot during this show because I continue to uh, battle this head cold, which is not a lot of fun. But I'm making it. Uh, it just may not be uh, – if you hear me blank out for a minute, I'm hitting that cough button. That's what's going on. Uh, all right, so I, I think the first thing we got to talk about is this anonymous New York Times op-ed. I know everybody else is, is chattering about it, but I, kind of an unprecedented thing in our history. I mean, this is – I mean, essentially, if, if, if we take the New York Times op-ed at face value, what we have is somebody claiming to be a senior administration official – and everybody's trying to guess. I'm on an I'm on an email thread with a bunch of uh, fellow uh, political bloggers and stuff, and everybody's running like a like a betting pool on who it is. Um, and by the way, my bet's on Russian Ambassador John Huntsman. That's who I think it is. But <clears throat> anyway, this this op-ed's out there, and it claims to be from a senior administration official who says that members of Trump's own administration are working to undermine him. That's that's not a good thing, I, and I don't care. Setting aside for a moment how we all feel about Donald Trump, maybe you're his biggest fan, maybe you think everything he's doing is right, maybe you think he's a tyrant, maybe you think he's the worst president we've ever had. However you feel about the guy, if there are people in his administration that have problems with him, this is the absolute wrong way going, of going about doing it for a number of reasons. First and foremost, if you think that President Trump is so incompetent, so terrible, such a threat to the stability of this country, 
right? Because that's what the op-ed author said, right? He's he's not a member of the deep state. Uh, he's a member of the stable state, right? In, in that they're they're working to to stabilize the government uh, and protect them from President Trump's supposedly erratic decision-making processes. That's what they're that's what they're arguing. So if you think that the president is such a threat to the stability of the country, then speak publicly about that. Right. Be willing to resign your job and speak publicly about that. That would do more. That, that, that would do a lot more than this anonymous stuff, because here's the problem with doing this anonymously. One of President Trump's talking points is that there is a deep state, that there is a, a cabal of people in the government, the swamp, the establishment, whatever you want to call them, that there is a cabal of people who are working you know, towards their own nefarious ends and that they're ignoring the will of the people, and that they don't like to be challenged, and President Trump is a wrecking ball to all of that. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a narrative that is at the center of President Trump's appeal to this country, okay? So if you're somebody who's saying that President Trump's a bad president, that he's erratic, uh, and, and that we got to keep things stable and everything, then, then coming out and, and writing an anonymous op-ed, all you're doing, I think, is strengthening President Trump. Because an anonymous letter to the editor of the New York Times from somebody claiming to be a senior Trump administration official who is actively working to undermine their own boss. The only person in the executive branch, aside from the vice president, who was on the ballot. The only person in the executive branch who was elected of the people. You're actively working to undermine that person. You're kind of proving that the deep state exists. Right? I mean, now every time President Trump talks about the deep state, he can point to this op-ed and say, there are people even in my own administration who are working against me. If you hate President Trump, if you think he's an awful president, if you want to resist President Trump, this op-ed should be something that you think is terrible. This op-ed is not something you should support. This undermines your own goals. This strengthens President Trump's hand. Now, granted, it does sow chaos, and it does create some, some, some headaches for President Trump on that front. There's no question about it. But if, you're, if, you're, if your claim, right, because that's the claim that the op-ed author makes, is that they're about stability. Okay, well, if that's really the case, why are you creating chaos then by writing an anonymous op-ed to the New York Times? Oh, and by the way, do you think if, if this is really going on in the Trump administration, where there's really one person or, or maybe even a group of people who are in the president's inner circle, who are in senior positions in the administration, influential positions in the administration, who are actively working to 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 undermine the president or, or, or keep him from exercising his full executive authority because you think he's too erratic, too bombastic, too whatever to do that. Do you think that this letter to the editor is going to facilitate those ongoing efforts to stabilize the president, right? Assuming if we stipulate to the idea that he needs stabilizing in the first place? Because what's President Trump know now? Now he knows that there are people out there trying to undermine him. If anything, this is going to make him more erratic. This is going to make him more distrustful. This is going to make any efforts to build consensus within that administration any effort to, to, to perhaps moderate the president's views or the president's actions, it's going to undermine those because he is going to become more paranoid, more distrustful than ever before. 
again, this anonymous op-ed writer, and this this makes me think that the op-ed, uh, it's 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 deceit, it's, it's fundamentally deceitful at its core. Fundamentally deceitful at its core, and this is what makes me wonder why. Because if that really was the stated goal, if that was the person, they're they're a senior administration official, they're looking to moderate, modulate President Trump's actions as the chief executive of this country. If that's really their stated goal, then they wouldn't have done this. Because this runs directly contrary to that goal. This directly undermines that goal. This this does not match up with that stated So what I actually think is I think it's something else. I think there's some other ulterior motive to this that's not actually what the, the letter writer stated. And make no, make no doubt about it. The honorable thing to hear, do here is, is to be public about this. If you actually feel this way about the president, you should resign. Or at the very least, speak publicly with your name behind it and make the president fire you. That's what you do. That's the honorable thing to do if you really feel this way. Because doing it this way, this just, this just gives the president another talking point. This gives him an arrow in his quiver. When he wants to talk about the swamp, when he wants to talk about the establishment, when he wants to talk about the deep state, he could point to this. Whoever wrote this, this this clown, this idiot, I mean, this was a stupid thing to do. And also, by the way, why is the New York Times publishing this? And I say that, by the way, as somebody who is, is, is supportive at times. I allow anonymous comments on my blog. I have allowed anonymous uh, op-eds on my blog. I think there is a time and place where anonymity is appropriate. I don't even necessarily have a problem with anonymous sources. I've used them. But in this situation, you have somebody who is essentially describing the top elected official in our country as an existential threat to the stability of our country, and they're being allowed to write anonymously in one of the largest media publications in our country. That is absurd. If somebody came to the New York Times editors and said, listen, I'm a senior administration official, I have these concerns, I want to write this op-ed, the standard's got to be you got to put your name on it. If that's really how you feel, you got to put your name on it. Because otherwise what we're doing, we're creating what is essentially a constitutional crisis. We have, we have constitutional mechanisms by which we can remove the president of the United States. Right? There's impeachment, there's the 25th Amendment, there's a lot of things that can happen. But this... This is a borderline coup, right? This is, this is a duly elected president of the United States being deposed not through the legal standards that we already have in place, but through somebody taking it upon themselves, some unelected member of his administration, taking it upon themselves to undermine the person who was elected of the people. That is not defensible. I don't care how you feel about the president. If you think the president's the worst president in the world, I feel like you should still support opposing him through legal means, not this. Because if this is going to become the new standard, then what future president uh, is ever going to be willing to bring rivals into his cabinet? Right? What, what, what future president is ever going to, is, is ever going to take the risk of bringing anybody but, 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 but their ideological fellow travelers and their loyalists into their administration? All administrations have this sort of infighting. The Obama administration, the, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, uh, going on back to the beginning of this country. George Washington put Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams in the same administration. These men generally hated each other. But he brought them in because he wanted all of their points of views in his administration. If this becomes the standard, 
what future president would ever risk that? I think bringing in those diverse views is is good for governance. That's how it should happen. But why should future presidents do it if this sort of thing is going to be allowed, if this sort of thing is going to be tolerated? we got a caller on the line. Mike, you're on. What's up? Yes, uh, Rob. I, I haven't heard the, your whole um, uh, discussion on this, but do you think maybe there could be somebody writing in like that for uh, um, for uh, from from the other side, a Democrat writing it in and saying he's with the with the Trump administration. Well, that would that would mean that the New York Times is flat out lying because they're saying that they know who the, they know the identity of the person, and so essentially the Times is vouching that the way this person is describing themselves in the op ed is accurate. So if, unless the Times is outright, I think the Times is a slime slime newspaper because maybe maybe. Maybe, but I don't think the New York Times would would risk their reputation because eventually this, the identity oh, of this person is going to come out, and if the Times got caught flat out lying about it, uh, I, I just I don't I don't think that they would take that risk, Mike. Whatever well, else you I, think of their reporting and their editorializing, yeah. I don't think that they would take that risk. Yeah, I do. I guess myself, I, I don't yeah. trust uh, I don't trust the New York Times or the or half the the of any of the news media i think they all all are out to get them to, at, at whatever cost because they feel that they're right i and, think oh, well, I, I think that part's right i think there are people yeah. who are out to get trump no matter what i think there are people who think he's a threat to whatever it is they're clinging to whether it's it's they don't like his policies ideologically they oppose him politically or whether they think he's a threat uh to, to the established order in uh, in washington dc i i don't know but i think there are people who feel threatened by him uh, and are, are clearly willing to go this far. I, I think it was utterly irresponsible the New York Times to publish this. I think it was I absolutely think, ridiculous. You know, I don't think they should. You know what? And the thing is, if if, if they had gotten in, and I think they, they covered for Obama so much that, that the deep state, that I, I really believe that. I think that there's, it's absolutely unbelievable what the news media and what the Democrat Party, and here they still have Nancy Pelosi in a person of power. If they win the House, they'll put her back in power. I cannot yeah. believe, and that's what we have to look forward See, but, to. But, but, but again, and it, it doesn't even—it you know. doesn't even. The politics of it, to me, Mike, don't even matter. It's—it's it's not about Nancy Pelosi. It's not about the fact that you and I don't like her policies, or we don't like the New York Times's editorial position. It's not even really about politics. It's about the fact that President Trump was elected of the people. He is the only person in the executive branch with a mandate from the people. And what we're now hearing, if we take the New York Times op-ed at face value is that there is a senior member of his administration basically bragging about the fact that they are denying the president they are actively undermining the president and the exercise of the power that the people gave to him yeah that uh, that is that is that is a borderline coup and it's ridiculous and it shouldn't be anything any of us support well the problem is is that our government and our the people are so divided now i i don't know if there's really any hope to, well, there's to, hope, and, and unify our country whatsoever. There's hope, Mike. We've been through we've been through darker moments, my friend. Nah. Stay 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 confident. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. What do you think of all this? Do you think I'm right? Do you think I'm wrong? And by the way, who do you think it is? Vice a lot of people say Vice President Pence. He's uh, he's now on the record to a spokesman uh, denying it. Uh, who do you think it is? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're out Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Talking about that anonymous uh, New York Times op-ed, which, uh, again, 
I, I think a lot of people are reacting to it politically, and I, I think this is about something more than politics. This isn't about uh, I like the tax reform, you don't like the tax reform. This isn't about uh, I like Trump's deregulations, I don't like Trump's dere- deregulation. This isn't about really ideology or partisan affiliation or anything. This is about the functioning of our national government. This is about whether or not the presidents can govern. This this, this is about a, fr- frankly, what, what sounds like a coup. Right. I mean, that's essentially what a coup is, where a bunch of people depose a leader. Right. They come in and they somehow deny that leader the ability to govern. That's what this sounds like. I mean, like like President Trump or not, he is the president of the United States. He won the election in accordance with our laws. He is the duly elected president of the United States of America. Whether you like him or not, he should be allowed to govern. And if the people in his administration have concerns about who he is or what he's doing or anything along those lines, they should resign. Or at the very least, put their names on their criticism of him. Chris emails, don't you find the timing of this op-ed and the release of Woodward's book, which the people who were supposedly interviewed, and they said people interviewed, have come out and denied saying what Woodward said they said, was released at the same time during the height of election season. It just seems a little strange for me. Yeah, I mean... Excuse me. It's not that it's not that strange. Um, you know, the height of election season is prime time for people who produce political content. Somebody like Woodward is, of course, going to release his uh, his book at a time when interests in politics nationally. <coughs> Ooh, I'm struggling uh, when when interests in politics nationally are, are very high. So that is. Um, you know that 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 makes sense, uh, but you know, was there coordination between this op-ed writer and Woodward? Uh, I mean, you know, maybe. I mean, obviously, the Woodward book is coming out. And the Woodward book has you know cites a lot of administration officials saying supposedly a lot of nasty things about Trump, and those administration officials, some of them at least, are denying saying it. And then, you know, you add this into the mix, and now suddenly it it you know it, I, I guess you could say it bolsters. Um, it bolsters uh, Woodward's reporting, um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's coordination or not. I, I'm just Woodward's book is what it is, and we can run through that. His is a long line of, um, you know, political books. Of of, I, I think Woodward probably has obviously more credibility than most. But you know, I mean, these these political books are what they are. We've seen those before. What we have not seen before is an anonymous member of a presidential administration saying, hey, haha, look at how we're all, uh, you know, frustrating the president and his abilities to govern. I, that's not what we want. We don't want a bunch of unelected bureaucrats pushing around the people we elect to send to Washington, D.C. And again, that just plays into exactly what President Trump's been saying about the deep state and the swamp and everything else. I got to take a break. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We've been talking about this this anonymous uh, New York Times op-ed. And, uh, you know, who do you think it is? Do you think that this is appropriate? Um, listen, I, I realize that President Trump is a polarizing figure, and I don't begrudge anyone their feelings about President Trump. I, I get it. Um, that said, 
I, I, I think what's going on with this op-ed is, is the absolute wrong way to resist President Trump. If that's really your goal, if you really want to, if you really think President Trump's a, a threat to the country, if you really think he's that awful, this is the wrong way to go about doing it. Because A, you're just proving his point about, you know, there being a deep state or what have you. You're just playing right into his talking points. Right? I mean, this stuff, this is, that anonymous op-ed is catnip to President Trump's base. This doesn't hurt him at all. And B, I, I mean, this is this is essentially uh, a a a coup in a way, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm going back. I'm, I'm reading the op-ed. I mean, this is this is the subheadline. I work for the president, but like-minded colleagues and I have vowed to thwart parts of his agenda. These are unelected bureaucrats looking to thwart the agenda of the duly elected presidents, ladies and gentlemen. That is intolerable in a republic like ours. Let's get to the phones. Uh, caller, Matt, you're on. What's up? Hey, you nailed uh, some of my main concerns uh, with with the effect of this, but it, it shows such a, dis- a, a distrust for the, the Constitution. I mean, if, if this person genuinely has the courage of, of his or her convictions, then you trust the Constitution, because presumably that's what their main concern is, right? That, that the president's yeah. going to be somehow detrimental to the, to the country and his... And his, uh, his oath to protect the Constitution, and then but the reality is he or she is acting in violation of that very premise by not invoking the 25th Amendment or going some other lawful way. Right. Um, well, here, well, here's the thing. I, I mean, if, if, you, if, you think, if you think President Trump is doing something illegal, then resign your position and, and present evidence to, to the special prosecutor who is currently investigating the Trump administration. And I'm sure would love to have some real evidence of, of some sort of illegal misdoing. So, so if, you, if that's happening, resign and do that. Provide that evidence or provide it to Congress for oversight or whatever. Provide it publicly, whatever you're going to do, but do that. Or if he's not doing something illegal and you just think that he's you, you just don't like his policy approach, well, now we've got a problem because it's not that the president's doing something illegal. It's just that he's not governing the way you want him to. Therefore, you're going to resist him and try to block him as he tries to implement his policy agenda. That, to me, is something even worse. That's that's well, where you're Rob, in coup territory. There was I counted six paragraphs in the the op-ed referencing policy, referencing either foreign policy as it related to uh, Russia or trade. Specifically, so you have to you have to assume if you're writing an op-ed like this, you're going to bring forth your strongest arguments, right? Your what you'd consider a steel man argument, not a straw man. You're not going to you're not going to bring out your weakest points. You're going to bring out your strongest ones. And it and it took up considerable real estate in that essay, uh, referencing foreign policy and trade policy. So that that is a major part of it. And then if you're gonna if you're gonna act to thwart that, how do I even know? You are operating in what we consider the best interests of America. Who are you? What do you believe in? Who, no and by idea. the way, who elected you? Who elected you? Because President Trump, and by the way, President Trump hasn't deviated from his campaign platform all that much. I realize no. that, that what he's doing on trade, I realize that what he's doing with, with international relations and everything, I realize that that's all very controversial and very polarizing. But he also campaigned on it. And he won that election. And now he's implementing that policy. All right, and if you don't like it, you don't want to be a part of it, then resign. 
Matt, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDY.com. Caller, Ken, you're on. What's up? Well, two, two things. On the news break, that $100,000 number just won't go away uh, for security. But on, on Trump, for anybody that thinks this is great, I, either way, on the left, yeah, rah, rah. Flip it and, and, and read it, Obama. Let's say there's a mole and says, you know, I think he's going too far with this health care. I'm going to thwart him at, at, at every turn I can. That's not right. I guarantee you the New York Times does not publish that op-ed. If well, it was if the Obama care, administration in charge, if it's the Obama administration in charge, and it's some some member of, some dissenting member of the Obama administration says anonymously, I want to talk about how I'm actually uh, you know, thwarting President Obama yeah. and, and taking papers off his desk and not telling him things. Um, the New York Times does not publish that op-ed. Well, but, but I'm saying if, if they did, it's still wrong. So, uh, and, 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 and the, the, the left's head wouldn't, wouldn't think yeah. this is great. I would feel the same way if it, was, if it was some member of the Obama administration that wanted to come out and anonymously say, oh, you know, we don't like President Obama, he's, he's terrible, he's a threat to the country, and and gone we want to, you know, I'm active, I'm active. I mean, because that's literally, I'm quoting you from, they use the word thwart. Yeah. I have vowed to thwart parts of his agenda. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and again, if you think he's doing something illegal, there's a special prosecutor out right now. Go talk to him. Resign and go talk to him about it. If you, and if, it, if it's just policy differences, then resign and, uh, and oppose his, you know, get elected to Congress or something and oppose it that way. You know, but this whole I'm, I'm going to be anonymous and I'm going to write a letter to the New York Times about how I'm part of the resistance in the administration. You know, screw you. Well, I, I, I think there's a, a lot of wrong to go around here. And, I, you know, you, you may not like Trump, but, you know, it, it's like the military says you don't have to like the president, but, but the, the office of the president you need to respect. It's not even about Trump. This this what's going on right now. This is not about Trump. This is not about I'm a Trump supporter. I'm part of the resistance. It's not about that. It's about it's about some treacly moron in the administration who doesn't have the courage of his convictions to put his name or her name behind what they're saying about Trump. And it was taken this, this, is, this, is, this is the act of a coward. This is the act of a coward. It doesn't matter if it's a Democratic president or a Republican president. This is the act of a coward. I agree. Can't think- Ken, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Emailer says, I think it is Omarosa. She was on the staff and does have an axe to grind, plus it would help her book. Uh, no, I don't think it's Omarosa and because, A, and the New York Times says they know who the identity of the person, and this person says that they are currently working for President Trump, so that's not Omarosa. Uh, another emailer says, so sad. Way to shoot the messenger. Don't fo- focus on the message. Just attack the messenger. Well, the messenger kind of matters here. I mean, really, the, the, the message itself is nothing all that unique. The, the message itself is, is, is not really anything we haven't heard before. Right? The, the message is about... The message is about Russia. I mean, the message is about trade. We've heard these criticisms before. This is not unique. What's unique is that it's coming from somebody in the administration saying that they're act they work for the president, but are actively working to thwart him. That's what's unique about this. That's worth talking about with this. That is what's talking about with this. So uh, you know, don't 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 say that I'm shooting the messenger. 
What I'm saying is that this messenger is a coward. By, by the way they've chosen to go about voicing their criticisms of President Trump, it is an act of cowardice. They have no right to be serving in the administration. They have no right to be there. This is, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. If they, if they feel this way about President Trump, they should resign. If they feel that if they feel that President Trump has done something illegal, then they should they should go and, and pursue that. If, if they're not doing anything, if they're just sitting there and, and just just kind of working on it's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know what it's kinda like? I mean this this is not let's let's put this in another context that's been in the news right now. Think about the Catholic Church and the sex abuse scandal and everything going on there. Right? And so you know, what the Catholic Church did for all these years is they didn't address the abuse problem. They just tried to move the priests around and thwart their ability to, uh, to abuse children. That's what they did. And we all recognize now that, what the Catholic, that was monstrous, what the Catholic Church did. There was no accountability. There's a lot of reasons not to trust certain elements in the Catholic Church anymore because of that. We all agree that that was wrong. But how is that any different than this? This person is saying that President Trump is terrible. He's a terrible president. He's a threat to the stability of our country. And so what are they doing? Well, they're not, they're not putting their name to their criticism. They're not resigning. They're not turning any, over any evidence that they have of illegal wrongdoing to the special prosecutor. They're not doing any of that. No, they're just trying to work from inside and thwart the president. The duly elected president of the United States, I should say. Whatever you think of him. I thought a lot of what the pres- what the Obama administration did was terrible. I thought what they did on Syria was terrible. The whole red line thing, I thought that was awful. People suffered, people died because of that, those poor decisions. I thought Obamacare was terrible public policy for this country. But you know what I wouldn't have supported? Some anonymous jerk writing a letter to the editor of some publication saying, I'm actively working to thwart Obama from within. You coward. I didn't agree with much of anything the Obama administration had to do, but I wouldn't have supported that. Let's take a break. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDYAM.com. Uh, all right. We probably talked about the anonymous op-ed thing. You got anything you want to add there, Eric? Well, if you, if you want to hear my conspiracy theory, I'll be happy to throw it out there. You're just going to laugh. I, I, I did you okay? I, I can I guess because I think Go I have for a good it. guess. Go for it. Okay, I think I think you think it's it's actually Trump put somebody up to this. Close. I think the Republican Party did this. Yeah. And, and here's here's what I think. I think. See, because- but that that just that just goes to my point. That just goes to the point that I'm making that this is going to help them more than it hurts. Help Trump? Yeah. Well, my take on it is this, is that so President Trump has the lowest approval ratings of every any president going into the midterms. OK, that's not true. It is true. true. It is true. No, it's not. According to Actually, The Economist, no, it is true. He's at 38 okay. percent. Well, they're wrong. Well, they're wrong. They should probably correct that. OK, so All right. go ahead. Just like The New York Times is always wrong, too. Uh, no, I don't think the, the New York Times. I, I'm, I'm a New York Times. I'm a New York Times subscriber. I don't think they're always wrong. Going into the midterms, a lot of Republicans Ah, I shouldn't say a lot. A a, a fair amount of Republicans are probably not happy with Trump. And this is the Republicans' way of of saying, stay with us because things are going to turn around. Things are going to turn around with this president. You're not going to have to be so embarrassed or frustrated. 
It's not this circus that it that, that it's been. Stay with us. Stay with the Republican Party, and uh, things will get fixed. That's my conspiracy theory. I take I take the op-ed at face value. I think when the New York Times says it's a senior administration official, um, I think it's all real. I think it's I think it's exactly what it is presented, uh, and so I don't know. I I don't think that's true. But even supposing it is, this 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 helps Trump. You know, I mean, because they spend all their time. It's what they talk about. I mean, the deep state in Washington, D.C., that there's this cabal that's out to to thwart, um, you know, Republican leadership, that there's this this entrenched uh, army of of bureaucrats who are not elected by the people who want to be the ones who really govern. And that's exactly what this op ed is. I I think, if anything, it just proves President Trump's talking points right I mean, if, if that's if the goal is really stability and everything, it's just it's not helping. It's not helping. So I don't I do not agree with your theory. But I, I it did occur to me. I mean, part of there was a part of me that wondered, could this have been something that that um you know that that that, that republic you know because it it is it helps Trump so much. I mean, that's just where my mind went. Is could this be something that helps Trump more than it hurts? And and from that perspective. Something that that like like a Trump, like playing three dimensional chess or something, which I'm at this point I'm giving the president probably too much credit. The other thing I wanted to talk about this first hour, we ended up not getting to it, uh, was was Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney, because President Trump's going to be visiting soon for a fundraiser in Fargo. And now, according to reporting, uh, Fargo Mayor Tim Mahoney wants to uh, recoup security expenses from the visit now this became an issue last time he visited i was actually um i praised fargo uh, uh, mr mahoney mayor mahoney for um asking about the costs i think being transparent about government costs is generally a good thing um he he said he wasn't going to seek uh, reimbursement for the cost which is good uh the figures that have been widely reported for the the the, the um the expense of that visit have been exaggerated uh, because they include sunk costs that we were going to pay anyway. I mean, the, the, the six-figure number that's been reported widely includes things like salaries, right, like like prorated portions of salaries that we were going to pay law enforcement officers whether President Trump visited or not. We didn't go out and hire a bunch of new deputies or a bunch of new patrol officers to provide security. They were already on staff. We were going to pay them either way. If you're going to count up the cost, you got to count things like overtime and whatnot that were devoted specifically to this, not sunk costs. So that's a little ridiculous. But now Mayor Mahoney says he's going to he wants to get reimbursed for this fundraising visit because it's not open to the public. I think this is Mahoney caving, right? I I, th- I think I think the height camp and, and the high camp campaign and the Democrats, they need they want this as a talking point. Uh, he got in the way of that last time. Uh, and I think he's caving to to the silly season partisan politics. So uh, caller Bob, uh, I tell you what, Bob, if you want to hold on, we'll get to you right after the break. If you want to hold on through the break, this is the Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. So go away. Welcome back to the Rob Report 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we have our tax commissioner, Ryan Rauschenberger, on the line. We'll talk with him in a minute uh, about uh, our state's uh, efforts to implement Internet sales taxes after the Supreme Court ruled earlier this year. But Bob wanted to get on the program. We didn't have enough time for him in the last segment. Go ahead, Bob. What's up? Yes, I'd like to say something about Anonymous. 
Have you ever seen in your lifetime late, so many anonymous things being? I mean, journalism is dead. Do you agree? I don't think that's true. No, I don't. Well, I, I do because changing. I can't believe anything anybody says. Well, let's give me. Get, let me give you a for instance. Um, how many people live in the state of North Dakota? Uh, over seven hundred thousand. Was it? Is it okay, like seven twenty? Okay, one of high camp. One of high camps. Um, Commercial says there's 300,000 people um, that have uh, pre-existing illnesses that aren't going to be covered. So out of a state of 700,000, you actually think 300,000 of 300,000 people? I mean, really? Well, I, I, I think there's probably, I mean, if we if we use an expansive definition of pre-existing conditions, there probably are 300,000 Well, I tried to count all the people who, who in my definition. family, and it's surely the, the, not the, 50%. Yeah, well, well, the, the point is, I mean, yeah, because they're talking about roughly 40% of the state's population, a little over 40%. And my, you know, they're saying that all those people's health insurance is going to be at risk. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, Heitkamp keeps pushing that claim out there, and it's, it's, a, it's been fact-checked by the Associated Press. It's been fact-checked by PolitiFact. It's been fact-checked by Newsy. Our own insurance commissioner, John Gottfried, has come out and said that that number is irresponsible. And the reason why is... Uh, while, yes, there may be 300,000-plus North Dakotans with pre-existing conditions, 80% of North Dakotans, more than 80% of North Dakotans, in fact, closing in on 90% of North Dakotans, get their health insurance either A, through an employer, or B, through the government, both of which situations covered pre-existing conditions prior to Obamacare. So I, 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 don't, like- I don't understand. You know, it's, it's a scare tactic, and it's, it's a lie. They know it's false, but they're, they're lying because it's campaign silly season, and they hope... Uh, that if they repeat the lie often enough, it will gain a veneer of truth. I'd like to say one more thing, too. I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter. I voted for a guy. I voted for Sinner. I voted for Dorgan. I voted for Camp. I voted for Conrad. Um, so if you want to be embarrassed, just if you're a Democrat and you think I'm embarrassed for supporting Trump, listen to these Kavanaugh hearings. Cory Booker, yeah. Mr. Stolen Valor himself this morning, he was saying, oh, we need this, we need that. And, and, and he's, he's really standing up for the good of the people because they're not getting enough records. When now we find out that everything that he's looking for, he actually has. He's just grandstanding. You know, yeah. so Democrats. No, it's, I, I actually I wrote my, actually, Bob, you'll have to watch for my Sunday print column. I actually wrote about the Kavanaugh hearings. It's interesting. Last, oh, just, just one last um, a moment for you, then I got to go to my guest. Uh, you said you voted for high camp of the past. Are you voting for her this cycle? No, no way. I, you know what? It's going to take yeah. a long time for me to vote for a Democrat again. What? What? What changed what your? What what's cha- going on right now? What changed your mind? Everything that's going on in Washington. The way these Democrats yeah. are just—they're go- they're crazy. I mean, these Kavanaugh hearings. If you listen to what's going on, and not only that, you know, it's uh, it, it started with the pink hats, pretty much. It started with that. It just gets more and more and more and more and more and more. Black yeah. lives matter. You know, it's just, you know, I'm tired of being, I'm tired of being racist. You know, I can't wait. So I'm not racist anymore. I'm just looking, waiting for that day. You know, when, when, the, when people are calling me racist and, and these talk show, you like the, like, the, like the parrots in the morning, you know, when they hang up on you and they got to talk about you behind your back because, because they can't come up, you know, they can't just have a, 
a, open a dialogue with you and have a discussion with you. Yeah, that's where, you know, no, I'm, I'm, my mind is closed too now. All of a sudden, boop, lock, yeah. there goes the key. It's tough, it's tough to have a conversation with somebody who starts a conversation with the assumption that you're a racist. I, I think that's, that's hard. Bob, thanks for the call. I got to get to my guest. I appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Switch it gears. Our tax commissioner, Ryan Rauschenberger. Ryan, how you doing? Good, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I have an article. Here it is. All right. Uh, Let's see. You uh, have about 500 new online retailers have signed up with the North Dakota Tax Commissioner's Office to begin remitting sales taxes since a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in June allowed states to force collection. State Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschberger, and mine on Wednesday uh, to speak to the Golden K. Kiwanis, said his office continues to sign up merchants ahead of an October 1 deadline so tell us about that process i imagine you're seeing a big influx of people why is there a deadline why is that why is there an october 1st deadline well uh, you know that's a good question um one of the reasons we have have a deadline is so you know all the companies across the nation have something to shoot for you know we set a deadline and said you need to get in by this date and if you're not uh you we're basically going to be reaching out to them to to ask them why they're not and working one-on-one with those companies and doing active compliance. And we're basically following the same suit as other states, you know, Minnesota, South Dakota, right? I shouldn't use South Dakota necessarily, but really when you look at other states um, in the, in that have similar laws to us, uh, as far as being able to collect and remit, um, have online companies collect and remit sales tax, they've set a date in, in, uh, in code or, or administratively essentially because, We've heard back from companies that have said, we're, we're not going to comply unless you give us a date, um, not just some nebulous, well, we want you to comply at some time. So, they, so companies want to have that kind of certainty, and it's something to shoot for. And I think that's true whether you're an online company or not. To have, and it's also the beginning of a quarter. So it gave the companies time from you know, the June mark through that October 1 to basically you know, work internally, work with uh, their, their fellow retailers uh, to get complied, and register with the state. And what we're going to see this month uh, is, is every week and every day it's really ramping up. We're starting to see that amount of daily registrants and calls uh, really ramping up because of that October 1 deadline. So I think it's working. Uh, we're, we expect a lot more activity in the next few weeks, and then we'll kind of have that bright line in the sand of October 1 and say, all right, here's the, here's the 100 big online com- companies out of the top 1,000 who've signed up. Okay, you other 900, line up. You need to get in the door. So uh, as as this process plays out, and I, I think you and I had this conversation before, because I think you know whether we agree with with it or not, and I I honestly still have my reservations about the fact that that the courts weighed in on this, and I worry yeah, about yeah. what that says about interstate commerce. We've had that conversation, uh, but your job now is is obviously to implement the court's ruling. Um, and, and you've got 500 signed up. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise to you that there's probably more than 500 online retailers <laughs> that North Dakotans buy from. Um, I, I know before you said, you know, we're obviously we're focusing on the big guys, right? We're focusing on the yeah. big ones to try yeah. to get the bulk of it. Do you think there's ever going to be a day, though, where this can be totally enforced? You know, like like we basically have 100% enforcement. Like if you open a retail store in North Dakota, you know, your office is going to is gonna combine to enforcement, make sure that they're, they're collecting. And I, I would say we probably have – you know, outside of just outright fraud, we probably have, you know, pretty close to 100% collection from retail, brick-and-mortar retail in the state of North Dakota. Um, are we ever, I mean, I, 
what are our odds at, at ever getting to a point where we feel satisfied that most internet transactions in North Dakota are being appropriately taxed? Well, that's a good question. And a few points is the reason we are focusing on the top uh, 1,000 is that, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, potentially, you know, 90 plus percent of all those sales that come from online come from those top 1,000 that do a lot of advertising online that are working with Google to be the top Google hit. You know, they're the ones that are popping up on your on your apps. They're the ones that are basically everywhere on the Internet because they're spending billions of dollars on advertising. So those are, you know, if we're able to get compliance from those top 1,000, and, and that's kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but if you have those top 1,000, you're getting a lot of the sales into the state. And, and, and to your point about, well, we likely have 100% compliance, I would say with brick and mortar, we really do, but there are a lot of um, entities, and we'll, and we'll and I'll just say this, when we have the influx of businesses coming into the state doing um, a lot of work where you don't necessarily need a storefront when it came to the oil boom, we had to allocate a number of staff to do what we call discovery, which is basically what they're doing online now. But, you know, companies who are advertising do business in the state but were not registered, um, who were maybe putting equipment into the ground, selling equipment um, out of trucks, whatever it might be, who were not collecting and remitting. So they were more mobile, and they were tougher to basically get a hold of that were based in another state but working here mobily. And we're talking about millions of dollars in sales. So, so we've dealt with this before. Um, so we have some experience with the influx of oil activity, and there's always a bit of noncompliance. But for the most part, you talk about brick and mortar, absolutely. Um, but, but really, we do focus on on those larger ones. 100% compliance online. Um, you know, they come and go every day. Online companies. There's hundreds of thousands of online companies to var- you know varying sizes. But when it comes to meeting that threshold of at least $100,000 per year, because we have that small seller threshold, we're starting on the other end of the spectrum. We're starting with the larger one. And, and that's the case where most states, you know, a number of other states are adopting that small seller threshold that we also have and followed South Dakota on. Now, do, do you, as, as we go forward, I mean, tell us what that enforcement looks like. Because you talked about, like, during the oil boom, Obviously, you had some maybe, you know, out of the back of the pickup types who were just rolling into the state with stuff to sell and not really worrying about, you know, licenses or or anything like that, compliance. Um, in terms of enforcing that on the Internet, can, can you describe, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, you're just looking on, like, social media to see what people are talking about, like, oh, I'm buying from so-and-so. I mean, what? Right, how, how do you right. go about doing that? Well, there, there's a number of ways to do it. Is One is, um, you know, when you look at those top 1,000, what, what, along with the 44 other states that have a sales tax, you know, based on my discussions with other states, most of us, um, just as I've described, uh, you know, we're, we're reaching out to these trade organizations. You know, these online companies are billion-dollar companies and are, and are members of these large trade organizations, you know, e-commerce um, organizations, you know, online retailers. And we're able to basically work with those associations, get those lists, and, and that captures a lot of what we're talking about. So we, we have a trade association list that has the top 1,000 um, U.S. online retailers. And, and that alone captures um, a, lot of that, a lot of that activity. But also when it comes, I'll be honest, when it came to those, you know, Western, I think I mentioned a little bit ago, when if somebody was advertising, if some you know if things are coming up on your apps, if 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 you're online and you see this you know company that pops up on Google that um, clearly is a substantial site that that we don't have a registration from, but they were the top hit, they're clearly substantial and have sales across the U.S. or are trying to. 
and and I think that's important because we it might it might seem a bit um, um, kind of low tech. I, maybe low tech isn't the word, but not that sophisticated. But sometimes you just got to look at ads. We did that in Western North Dakota where trade associations and magazines, people were advertising in there, and they were not registered. <laughs> so we'd have to go out and reach out to them, and sometimes it was just they didn't think about it. Oh, we, I suppose we do owe sales tax in the state or withholding no, I, on employees. I, 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 know there's, I know there's been some efforts in the past to, to have the state sort of coordinating on, on the sales tax. Is there, mm-hmm. Are you guys mm-hmm. going to be sharing like a database of, of, hey, these are the companies we're collecting from so that – you know, you could go through and kind of compare lists and say, oh, hey, we don't have this person on our last list. Let's check in with them and see if they're doing business here. Well, um, to a degree, like we're members of the Multi-State Tax Commission. So what we would potentially do is have that group. We In, in state law, we have a compact with that entity who can who can go out and audit companies nationally on behalf of sometimes we're one of 12 states because they believe that those you know, a company might have nexus, you know, some sort of an uh, economic presence in those 12 states, and we'll join up with them and be able to share information in those audits or those what we call um, discovery efforts. Um, so we have mechanisms through Multi-State Tax Commission and a, another trade organization that we're a member of, uh, Federation of Tax Administrators. And being able to information share like that um, is important. So, so we do have agreements that um, we can work with other states and like multi-state tax commission in in state law where we can actually have that entity do some of the work. We pay an annual fee for them to actually generate revenue from us through compliance and audits. Um, so so using those external entities will really help with the workload and because we put in so much effort and the employees here have done such a great job, um, you know this is going to be an ongoing compliance effort, and utilizing those outside sources will be important. Ryan, uh, it's going to be interesting going forward, and um, you know, I, I guess watching how this—it's—it's it's the start of a new era. And and again, I, I hope the consequences from the the court having decided this, as opposed to it being legislatively decided, is uh, are, are are okay for our state. I, I'm still worried about that. Well, you know, to that point, and I know we've discussed this before, that even though the court has ruled, this is still in the power of Congress. And you know, one of the reasons uh, that the states. Um, basically took this case to the courts is because um, uh, basically Congress had not acted. There have been many, many bills proposed by the states and introduced in Congress yeah. that went nowhere um, yeah. to basically handle this issue with some federal preemption to avoid a court issue. And But that to that point, Congress still has the power to act on this, and that is one of the reasons that we're being I, I, a little cautious in the forecast well, is that Congress may still act next year. I, I hope they do. I just hope, though, that the next time we go to court and say, hey, Minnesota can't put a tariff on coal-fired electricity from North right. Dakota, that the court doesn't point to this and say, oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, they can. That's that's what I'm worried about. So, uh, But I, I guess that's we, we don't have certainly enough time to, to litigate that issue now. Ryan, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's uh, Ryan Rauschenberger, our tax commissioner. This is Rob Port, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Uh, let's see. We got a couple of emails in uh, talking about the uh, what we've been talking about earlier with that anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. Lee emails. I think the best way to overcome someone like that individual that is the White House is, that is in the White House presently is to gather all the resources and effort possible to win the tw- the election of 2020. Everything else is just unfortunately giving that person the attention they crave 
Elections have consequences. Those of us who don't care for the individual that occupies the White House need to make sure we put an actual opposing candidate in 2020 that can actually win the election. All this other noise is just like running into a wall. It may feel good to have a tantrum, but it it doesn't actually get you any closer to where you need to be. I agree with that 100%. I mean, if you, if you want, we live, there is nothing about the American government that's that's permanent. Not even the Constitution. I mean, it's tomorrow, Eric, if we, if, if, if we wanted to amend and, and eliminate the First Amendment, say. I obviously do not want to do that at all. But if we wanted to eliminate the, the, the First Amendment, it's possible. It's possible. You can initiate a constitutional amendment, and if it goes, if it if it is successful in that process, you could get rid of the First Amendment. You could. There's there's nothing permanent about our government, and that's by design. It's a government of the people, and as the people's attitudes change, so does the government. So so do our laws. And so this this idea that I, I mean, th- that's what bothers me about this. I think this emailer has it exactly right. If you don't like Trump, then beat him. Beat him at the polls. But you know what? If, if you want to beat him, you're going to have to do better than what you're doing now. Because what you're doing now is you're telling a, a, a vast faction of the American electorate that they're racist, awful people. Right? I mean, that was that was Hillary Clinton's mistake. She called them deplorables. You don't think that resonated? You don't think that put Trump over the top? And I, I, I'll tell you, Democrats just seem to be doubling down on that. And I, it's, it's not going to help them. But I think the emailer's got the right attitude. Don't don't try to pull off a coup in the administration. Don't try all this other nonsense. Rebut his arguments. Win it. Get, get in the arena and win. I mean, you you don't you don't want to beat Trump that way, right? Because all that's going to do is divide us. It's just going to create resentment. Elect, the reason why elections work is that even if you lose at the ballot box, you can at least feel there was a fair process. Right. You, you at least feel, OK, I made my argument. I supported my candidate. I supported my issue and I lost. I can accept that. But I tell you what, if, if, if somebody is unsuccessful because they feel like they were sabotaged, that's how revolutions start. We'll be right back. This is a Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at WDAY.com emailer Jerry says I love it when you plunge off the deep end I think you actually have a secret crush on Heidi what <laughs> how did I go off the deep end Eric I don't think I was off the deep end uh, I won't see you were off the deep end you were riled up though I, I don't think yeah. I've seen you that mad well, since you and I argued about placing the uh, flag on the moon in that yeah. movie well oh well you were you were riled up a little bit I, I i care about this stuff yeah it's authentic i actually care i care that a, that a, a apparently a senior member of the administration is working to thwart the president i think that's an awful thing um i i don't i don't think that's anything whatever you feel about president trump that's not that's not the way to resist him um it, it's it's just wrong and indefensible and i'm I, i'm shocked the new york times published that i don't think that they should have but uh, we could talk about that uh, another time. I was actually blogging during the break. The, the Kramer campaign, we talked a little bit about President Trump. Isn't he? The Kramer campaign just put out a press release. They said they've already raised a million bucks from the uh, the Trump fundraiser that, that's going to happen tomorrow. They've already got a million dollars in donations. Uh, they said more than 90% of which have come from North Dakotans, which, um, which is actually kind of significant when you consider that. Uh, I, in fact, I was just during the break, I went to the FEC website. I was doing the math. 
Uh, Senator Heitkamp has received 9.75% of her contributions from North Dakotans. Uh, Kevin Kramer has received just over 37, 37.05% of his contributions from North Dakotans. And actually, Senator Heitkamp's actually raised significantly more money overall uh, than Congressman Kramer. But uh, Kramer actually has raised more from North Dakotans um, than, than Senator Heitkamp. So, I don't know. Interesting stuff. I'm going to have a post about it on SayAnythingBlog.com. Let's get to our guest who's not here to talk about any of that stuff. In fact, he's here to talk about the budget, OMB Director Joe Morissette from the Bergam Administration. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Rob. We got some good news uh, on revenues. It seems like uh, they're beating forecasts. That's that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You bet. We have preliminary numbers through the month of August. We're just about 4% above the original forecast, which was adopted by the legislature uh, in April of 2017. So tell us, where, where, where's the money coming from? Break that, break that down a little bit. Well, you know, the sales tax is our largest uh, revenue source for the state general fund. So we watch that one uh, the most. Uh, we watch that one closely. Um, we're about 2% over forecast so far for the biennium on, the, on sales tax. And that is um, just about a third of all the, the general fund revenues, including transfers and everything. So, uh, so that's that's really good news. Of course, um, you know we have to look at the the, the detail of, of where that comes from, and and there's uh, a significant amount that comes from oil activity in the state, and that's been uh, much stronger than what was anticipated when the forecast was developed. So we know that's a, a real positive factor that helps push that that sales tax number up, and uh, into the next biennium, we we look for that to continue at a um, you know a pretty um, consistent rate of growth in in uh, in that area and so we have about a 10 percent increase that we're expecting into the over the next two years of the of the next budget period the 2019 through 21 period do you um do you feel so by the way 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com uh, now, the, the one thing, when these numbers came out, I mean, obviously, these are the, it, it just, just to make sure everybody understands, North Dakota, when, when, when lawmakers and, and the executive branch, when they get into that budgeting cycle, the dollars that they are budgeting with are not necessarily dollars that the state has. What they are using are forecasts. So they're saying, well, we expect to bring in this amount of money, thus the budgets can be this, that, and the other thing. That's why these forecasts are so important. Now, Joe, in, in the past, we had a big problem with these forecasts not being very accurate. Um, you know, I, I think at one point uh, they were off. Uh, in, in one way, uh, the forecast was off by like, uh, you know, a, a billion dollars where we actually got like a, more than a billion dollars more in revenue, uh, the, the height of the oil boom. Uh, and then we come back and, and when, when oil prices plunged, crop prices plunged, you know, we were way off the other way. Have right. we changed the way we're doing these forecasts so that they're more accurate? I mean, because it seems like I've I've been watching I, when I, I get the Revy news every month that I've been watching it, and it seems like we've been pretty close to right on. We've been very close to this biennium, and we've we've certainly we constantly look at the forecast process and try to to make that better. And and we've uh, we have an advisory council uh, group that that is kind of an informal group that provides input on the forecast, gives us kind of a, a North Dakota perspective on the the tax base estimates that come from our consultant from Moody's and uh, and that's a valuable step in the process we've added to that group to get a little bit more diversity there a little bit more represent a little bit more representative of the uh, North Dakota economy 
And so, so we've done that. We're always working with, with the uh, consultants, with Moody's, to refine their model, look at um, how it's tracking. And uh, you're, you're totally right. There's been misses on, on as revenues were in the upswing and <laughs> on the downside. And, of course, um, you know, one factor is that um, the, the, for, the forecaster, um, the consultant, Moody's, tells us that North Dakota is the hardest economy in the state to forecast of all the ones that they do because we are, are so uh, commodity-driven, both in agriculture and oil. And so, so that makes it very difficult because, of course, it's hard to predict those kind of price swings that are, are driven, you know, by global factors. So, yeah. um, so, so that's wow. totally true. If you, uh, if, you, if you could predict those things, you better not be working for Moody's. You should probably <laughs> be in the commodities trading business that, that's where you true. can make a mint. That's true. And so it's helped us that, you know, that our forecast to start this biennium was, was conservative in terms of the oil price. Uh, turned out to be, you know, very conservative. We had a price of about $42 a barrel for oil, and we've right now we're at around 60 for a North Dakota price. So, uh, and our production level was 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 conservative as well. So, so that's, you know, been a huge factor in driving oil tax collections above forecast. But that also filters through into our other tax types. It affects sales tax because all of those taxable inputs that go into a well have a have a positive impact on on the state sales tax. And it also affects individual corporate income tax collections, which are also tracking well above forecast. Now, the the oil money specifically, I, I think a lot of people need to understand that doesn't necessarily just flow into the general fund. It's it's capped. You know, right. there's a, what what is it? It's four hundred million now. I think is the cap. Yeah, that's uh, a good so point. It's, it's there's only a certain amount of that this, that goes through. Yep. Yeah, it's four hundred million for yeah, this biennium, and, and, so and we, that's subject we, we, to legislative. Uh, uh, change, you know, they'll look at that each session, and and based on current law, it would go back down to three hundred million for the next biennium. Right. Okay. So, so basically, I mean, j- just because we're getting more oil tax revenues doesn't necessarily mean that money is going to be in the general fund for lawmakers to spend. As a matter of fact, the drop in oil tax, direct oil tax revenues, didn't impact the general fund at all because we always hit the cap. Uh, but right. it, it's the money that's going into those special funds. Now, your boss was cautioning when these numbers are coming out. He's not saying. He said, hey, we still got to be conservative in our budgeting. That seemed very smart. I mean, looking at this outlook, I, I think the last thing we need to do is is to go back to, to, to the way we were spending during the oil boom. And I know that's kind of a political question, maybe outside of your, your purview. But then also, I, I, I think also it's, it's important to be prudent because a lot of what's in the current budget are, are, are transfers. And you can see it when you send out that revenue report every month. At the bottom, we have those those transfers from from funds, and those are sort of the the state's funds, reserve funds that we transferred money into the general fund to make ends meet. The governor's point being, yes, we're beating forecasts, but those still aren't making up for those reserve funds. We can't count on on pulling money out of savings every time. No no household ever budgets based on hey, let's take money out of savings every month. Nobody does that. That's not a sustainable way to budget. So he's saying, even though we're beating. Revenue forecasts, we still got to be conservative in our budgeting, right? Right. That's totally true. Totally agree with the governor on that point. You know, as we as we look at the current biennium budget, we have about an $800 structural gap between our ongoing revenues or ongoing expenditures. And so with this forecast, um, like you said, it's a projection. It's, just, uh, it, it's, it's based on estimates, but we're estimating that we would have about $300 million more for the next biennium than what was available to spend when we started this biennium based on those forecasts. But that still leaves a pretty significant gap. And so, you know, we're still being diligent as we work on the budget. We're working right now with, with 
each uh, state agency as they submit their their budget request, and and uh, our analysts work with the agencies to to come up with a uh, with a a budget that that works that meets their needs, but is conservative and has areas where we can be more efficient and save money because we do have to look at areas where we can where we can uh, save and cut back on spending to, to try to close that gap. Uh, well, Joe, it's it's going to be interesting watching as we go forward, and I it feels good that we've got some of these forecasting issues worked out. Um, I, I feel like maybe the input from the industries we're, we're making better. I mean, the whole thing, and, and again, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I, I don't think, if, if you again, if you could get, guess commodity prices, uh, that's that's definitely where you ought to be working. So I, I, get, I get that it's hard and I get that it's challenging, but I, I, I feel like maybe we can all be a little more confident in these forecasts going forward. So thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time today. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks, Rob. That's Joe Morissette, Director of the Office of Management and Budget. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAYAM 93.1 FM. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report, 970 WDAYAM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, let's see. I thought this was very astute. Just, just going back to the uh, New York Times op-ed thing. This is from Nick Gillespie. Um, he is the uh, for the Reason Foundation, kind of a libertarian organization. So, I mean, they're not they're libertarians. They're not exactly pro-Trump people. Uh, in fact, I know Mr. Gillespie is not a fan of President Trump, but he says, uh, I quote, exactly the same sort of thing, albeit in softer form, could be said about any White House. And he's talking about uh, the op-ed's descriptions of, of, of faction and division within the Trump administration. He goes, there's always factions and cross currents. How many members of George W. Bush's administration, for instance, really gave a, and here he uses a word I can't repeat on air, uh, these these libertarians, Eric, um, about their boss's desire after re-election to enact immigration and social security reform? Zero. The Obama White House was riven by differences over health care plans and foreign policy disputes as well. Read any history of the Reagan years, and you'll find that it was amazing that anything ever got done, given all the infighting. Bill Clinton actually had officials resign over policy differences. It's patently absurd to elevate frictions within the Trump White House to an existential threat to the republic. In fact, it's the sort of overstatement that is worthy of, well, Donald Trump, who just doesn't do nuance. Um, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and again, if, if you really think that, that, that President Trump is the threat that you say he is, then act like it. Then act like it. Resign from the administration. If you think that there's illegal things going on, talk to the special prosecutor. If you really want to change things, at the very least, put your name to it. So I, I think that's what a lot of this is: raising petty political faction uh, up to uh, up to something else. Uh, TMZ saying Burt Reynolds has passed away. Eric. Yeah, just saw that. That He's came 82. across. That's terrible. Um. I, I was a Burt Reynolds fan. I thought he was hilarious. Remember the I still watch Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit, Cannonball Run. Yeah, good stuff. I like Smokey and the Bandit where he won't he won't give Sally Fields money for the pay toilet makes tells her to crawl under. <laughs> <laughs> what a gentleman! Oh, Burt, Burt Reynolds. He was a talent. I liked him. Hey, uh, you know we've been talking about this Kaepernick thing and the Nike thing and all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I had confidence that it was going to be a smart business move for Nike. 
right? I think I think they they're a smart. I mean, they're a multi billion dollar corporation. I think they know a thing or two about marketing, and uh, I. I, I didn't think that this was probably going to hurt them all that much. You know, I, I know that their stock dipped a little bit and people were freaking out about a lot. I think a lot of that was partisanship. But get this. There's a poll out from Morning Consult uh, that says that Nike's favorability run rating has plummeted after the brand rolled out an ad campaign featuring uh, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick. I'm reading this from The Federalist now. Uh, the athletic apparel company's favorability rating has dropped from 69% net favorability to 35% oh, wow. net favorability among American adults after the ad featuring Kaepernick was released, according to a morning consult report. Um, that's interesting. I, I think the question will be, though, is if that stays once this fades from memory. That's right? not just I mean, a little dip there. That's, that's a that's big not, drop. You're right. I mean, that's, that's a 35% plunge. Well, it, okay, so it went from 69 to 30, so it was a 34% plunge. I mean, yeah, that's that's a big shift. But also, you're polling in the middle of, of the controversy, right? Pu- public opinion is fickle, and, and particularly when you're talking about a company. In politics, you know, those those sort of royal loyalties are ingrained, right? Like, like people, are, people are Republican and support Republican candidates because of pretty deep-seated you know, feelings about politics. Sometimes it's it's even familial, like you come from a Republican family. So those loyalties are, are a little harder to shift. I would say that, that public perceptions of, of companies can be more fleeting, right? So so maybe it doesn't surprise me, but I don't know. If I was Nike, I'd be worried about that that swing. Uh, you know, that's a big swing. But I also saw, I mean, their, their other research says that, you know, Nike's mostly got an urban, an urban customer base. You know, the people buying most of their products are, are young people and urban people, and those are people who probably uh, lean to the left and people who probably uh, may overall support Colin Kaepernick. But anyway, I guess time will tell if it was a smart move for Nike or not. Uh, let's see. Oh, the other news, uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, uh, roll call, the roll call. Uh, she moved into number one position on the 10 most vulnerable senators of 2018. Uh, she's been there before. That's not a surprise. I think what is interesting, though, is nine out of ten of the senators on this top ten list are all Democrats. There's one Republican uh, incumbent, Dean Heller, out of Nevada. The other nine are Democrats. I think that's actually the worst news for Senator Heitkamp because although she might be endangered, maybe she could call in the cavalry from the national level. The problem is, is the cavalry is going to be kind of diluted, and they're going to be wondering, you know, where else should we spend our money? You know, she's going to be competing with Florida. She's going to be competing with some of these other states to try to get support. So I don't know. Interesting stuff. Hey, that's it for me today. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. You're going to want to tune in for that because Jay's awesome. I'm Rob Port. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at anythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. <laughs>